If you're enjoying Why This Universe, there's another University of Chicago podcast network show that you should check out, and it's called Big Brains. Big Brains brings you the engaging stories behind the pioneering research reshaping our world. Change how you see the world and keep up with the latest academic thinking with Big Brains, part of the University of Chicago podcast network. Here on Why This Universe, we talk a lot about science, but there's a chance that some of you listening are also interested in the bigger picture of what we do, the science communication itself. It's one thing to do physics, and it's a whole other thing to talk about physics. How do you communicate the meaning behind an equation or a story behind a blip in some data? Why even bother telling these stories? In today's episode, we're going to talk about science communication, what it means to us, how we approach it, why this podcast exists, and we're bringing on some very special guests to get their perspectives too. So stick with us. You're listening to Why This Universe, a podcast where we break down the biggest ideas in physics. My name is Shalma, and I'm a PhD student at NYU. And I'm Dan Hooper. I'm a theoretical astrophysicist at Fermilab and at the University of Chicago. Science communication today means a whole lot more than it did even a decade ago. The classic ways to communicate science, like books and public lectures, still exist. But they're complemented by this rich world of comics, movies, YouTube videos, TikToks, Twitter threads, and, of course, podcasts. Before Dan and I start sharing our stories of what brought us here to this physics podcast, we want to introduce today's very special guests, who are big shots in the world of science communication. So today we have with us Jorge Cham and Daniel Whiteson, the authors of the new book, Frequently Asked Questions About the Universe, and also of the previous book, We Have No Idea. Jorge is a cartoonist who, among other things, is well known as the creator of PhD Comics, which is hilarious, by the way. I'm a big fan. If you walk down the hallways of my department here, it seems like every third office or something has one of your strips hanging on it from your, your back catalog. I've known you, Daniel, for what? A dozen years, something like that. I'm not exactly sure when we met. Daniel's a physicist at the University of California, Irvine, and he's worked on experiments including the Atlas detector of the LHC, the Large Hadron Collider. And more recently, he's been embarking on this really interesting program to use a big network of cell phones to detect ultra-high energy particles through space, cosmic rays. And in 2018, Jorge and Daniel started their own podcast. Daniel and Jorge explain the universe, which is super entertaining. So entertaining, in fact, that you might not realize how much you're learning along the way. Thank you, Daniel and Jorge, for joining us today. Um, it's really a pleasure to have you on. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks very much. And uh, I join you. I'm also a big fan of Jorge's comics, which is how he and I started working <laughs> together. You know, That makes sense. I'm a, I'm a big fan of physics, so the love is mutual. All right. So out of the four of us... Two are academic physicists named Dan, one is a trained engineer and cartoonist, and one is a graduate student. That's me. So what brings each of us to this shared interest of science communication? Yeah, well, you know, like you, I started out in physics uh, because I was super curious about the universe and want to know how it worked. But I had this experience a lot where I would like sit on an airplane and somebody would ask me, what do you do? And I'd say I'm a physicist and they'd go, yuck. I hate physics. And then I'd say, well, you know, I just try to answer basic questions like, what's the universe made out of and where did it come from? And then they'd go, oh, well, 
where did the universe come from? And pretty soon you get them hooked. And I realized like people have this feeling like they don't like physics, but really they actually do. They just don't know it. And so I just wanted to break down that barrier a little bit and share it with people. And I saw this great technical comic about the development of the Chrome browser. And it was put together by, I think, Scott McCloud, a, a famous cartoonist. And, you know, I'm not that interested in Chrome and browser development, but this cartoon made it interesting and it was fun. And I thought, hey, if we can communicate, you know, something like that using cartoons, maybe we could talk about dark matter and Higgs bosons and stuff that really people are deeply interested in, but in a way that uh, is easier for them to accept or they don't get their guard up and think, oh, I'm going to have to learn some math. And uh, that's why I reached out to Jorge. I like that story a lot about the the people on the airplane and stuff. I feel like I experience that all the time meeting people and I tell them I'm like a physics PhD student and they're like, Oh God, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. and then like a lot mm-hmm. of their response is like, Oh wow. Like I cannot do math. And it's kind of always sad to me that, you know, a lot of people do have this anxiety, almost like a trauma about math in school for, you know, probably a host of reasons. And that, that scares people away from really like stuff that can be interesting to everyone and that everyone has, you know, the right to learn about. Yeah, and because I think science is, you know, it's by the people, of the people, and for the people, and funded by the people. And so people deserve to know what's going on and why it's interesting. Some people do science communication for sort of a cynical reason. They think, well, we should convince the public that this is important so they can keep paying for it. And, you know, I'd like the public to keep paying for it. I think that's great. But also because I think people will enjoy it. People want to know. And to me, it's just part of life, you know, like um, art makes life better, right? Music makes life better. So does learning about the universe and the nature of our existence here and understanding and exploring your curiosity it's it's part of the joy of life for me yeah i couldn't agree more it's to me to me that the part of my brain that gets triggered by an exciting idea in physics is very similar to the part of my brain that gets triggered by a great song or a great film or something it's not really practical it's not about for me building a you know better mousetrap it's it's about living a more interesting life it's about rocking out to the uh, truth of the universe right <laughs> I like you it. Check I out like it. Coming album. <laughs> you know, for me, my story was that I started in, in academia, and then I had did these comics sort of on the side for fun, and then at some point, I realized that they were more popular than the research I was working on, and the uh, the graph for the traffic for the PhD comics website was sort of going up as opposed to sort of the half life of my PhD was you know starting to decay, as they say. Daniel found some of these. He he called me and he said, um, hey, I have some funding to write some comics about the Higgs boson. And I was like, what? You have funding? What What, what does that even mean? I don't understand. <laughs> you want to pay me? <laughs> I, I just put things on the internet. And, and how did that collaboration then evolve to uh, the podcast? Yeah, well, we um, we started out just making videos online, as Jorge said. Uh, an agent reached out to Jorge and was like, hey, you guys should write a book. The podcast came out of sort of the book because we did a book tour. We went all over the country talking about the book. And, you know, you came to um, Fermilab, I remember. Yeah, we did. And we gave a presentation about it. And the thing about that presentation is it wasn't, you know, 100% scripted, let's say, i.e. was almost totally unprepared and it was different every night and uh, a little spontaneous. And so somebody saw that and said, hey, you guys have a fun chemistry talking about science. You should think about making a podcast. And, you know, I'm really into the ideas and Jorge is great at translating this stuff because, you know, he's uh, not a physicist, but he's got the technical background to really digest all of this stuff. And so it's, uh, I think, really helpful sort of as a translator between uh, physics and the and the community and, and the general population. That's right. Soon I'll be replaced by an AI that can translate <laughs> physics for the general public. Pretty soon we all will. Pretty soon we all <laughs> yeah. will. 
wondering how this why this universe collab came about we looked around at all of the physics podcasts that were out there and we realized that while they were all great they were all very long form a lot of 90 minute uncut interviews and things like that so we decided to fill in the gap by creating something that was shorter form something that you could finish in just one commute and thus was born why this universe For me, Why This Universe is the first time I've had any sort of public voice, especially on a podcast, but it wasn't necessarily Dan's first time. I want to offer you guys a heartfelt apology. Um, A couple years ago, you were kind enough to have me on your podcast to help promote my new book, At the Edge of Time. But in that recording session, I stupidly forgot to hit the record button on my computer, so all my audio was lost, and I had to go back. It created a bunch of headaches, and um, you guys probably thought very poorly of me at the time. I hope you can both forgive me, and I'm sincerely repentant for my idiotic error. No problem at all. It was amazing that you went back and re-recorded all the answers to those questions. And it got great response. A lot of our listeners really enjoyed. So thanks for coming on the show. Thankfully, Dan has figured out the whole recording thing by now. So podcasts and prose and comics all provide these different ways to talk about science. And one question I find interesting is the question of what content works best on each medium. Can all physics be discussed equally well on a podcast as in a book? When is it necessary to bring in those visual elements? So like when you're wrestling with an idea and you want to communicate this big idea to the public, do you look at this and say, this would work really well as a chapter of a book with some comic sort of style thing or or in prose, or this would work really well in the podcast? Do you you kind of pick the uh, medium based on an idea or do you just feel like any idea can work on any medium or how do you approach that sort of decision? Sometimes we end up on a topic where I can tell that Jorge really wants to draw something because we're talking about something sort of visual and he's like, Ooh, boy, this is kind of tough on a podcast, you know, because some things are better communicated visually. That's why I think in the book, it's fantastic that he drew all these cartoons. A lot of the cartoons are just fun. You know, they're just like a counterpoint to the message of the book. Um, But also a lot of them really like pull an idea together uh, and help you understand it because the visual medium can just do things right. That audio can't. Well, I always like the story that Daniel says about uh, Feynman, Richard Feynman, and how he was sort of like the OG physics cartoonist. And, uh, you know, just through these simple drawings and cartoons and abstractions really sort of captures a really complex theory and how that, you know, that's almost the sort of the language of, of particle interactions now, right? You like when I group you together with Richard Feynman? Yeah, just in general, with the, any Nobel Prize winner, no matter, literature, medicine, I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll, I'll hang out with them. In any any context, right. you're basically the Bob. <laughs> yeah, I'm now. the Forrest. I'm like the Forrest Gump of of uh, academia. <laughs> no, but I think there is really something to that. Jokes aside, you know, cartoons do capture the essence of an idea, and that's what Feynman diagrams are, right? They're a simple way to to describe something in a pictorial way. And the thing I've understood about teaching here at the university is that there are lots of different kind of learners. Some people learn best with equations and other people graphically and other people orally. And so it's good to communicate with people in lots of different ways. When it comes to my goals for science communication, I could give you an answer that is pretty altruistic about how I think it's important in a democratic society for everybody to know what their tax dollars are paying for, and it makes people better citizens and more well-rounded and inspired people to to know things about modern science. And all that's true. I, I don't disagree with any of that. 
But if I'm being honest, you know, I make things like podcasts and popular physics books because I really like doing it. Maybe if there weren't an altruistic reason, I wouldn't get up in the morning and, and work on it every day. But the premium reason, the main reason, the, the, the driving reason why I do it is because I enjoy doing it. Um, it's the same reason I do other, my other hobbies, like the, you know, why I make music, for example. Um, it's just uh, you know, the actual act of doing it is enjoyable enough to make me want to get up every day and work on it. Well, I, I imagine not a lot of people make a living as a cartoonist, so that's that's a primary motivation for me. No, I'm just kidding. Paying your mortgage. <laughs> uh, but yeah, for me, I think that's the basic instinct is just to just to share with people, and 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 I think secondary to that is the sort of these sociological concerns about you know getting people more interested in science, getting people to sort of think more rationally and to be more critical about where they get their information and how they get their information and who they get their information about and how um, you should, uh, you know, encourage people to think for themselves and to, you know, understand that there's a process to science, you know, it's not always right, but it is sort of the best that we got as a species to determine what we should do or shouldn't do. So all of those things are, are, I think, motivations. What about you, Daniel? Well, you know, as an academic that you always have more balls in the air than you could possibly catch and you have to sort of pick and choose what you work on. And I discovered early on or somebody gave me advice early on that like to find the joy, pick the parts that you really like doing because you can't possibly do them all. And I discovered that I, I really like teaching. I enjoy being in the classroom. I like talking to students. I like tapping into their enthusiasm uh, for these topics, remembering why I got roped into it. And so for me, it's partially about teaching because I'm at a public university and I feel like part of the role here is not just to, to teach the few kids who end up in my class every year, but to be accessible and available to anybody who's interested in learning this stuff. And so, you know, for example, I have a public office hours. People come by and ask random questions. Now I do them online. And so for me, for me it's, a, it's a lot of fun. It, it generates energy. Some tasks draw your energy and some tasks you come out of and you're like, wow, that was fun. And now it gives me yeah. a thousand times more energy to go do the next thing. And I feel like we have uh, something to say that's a little different from what everybody else is saying. And I want to make sure people get a chance to hear that because there are folks out there who, who would really appreciate it, I think. And, you know, the response has been really flattering and, um, and rewarding. We get lots of emails from people who say, I always loved physics, but I was scared away from it. And now I'm really back into it. Thank you very much. And even people who've like gone back to school to do a physics degree because of uh, some of our projects and it's changed their life. And oh, wow. I think, wow, you know, that's why we do it because we want to make sure people have lots of ways to get into these topics. Because not everybody, you know, finds their path in life through the traditional way or the academic way or whatever. And so we want to open as many doors to this joyful exploration of the universe as we can. Given that, you know, we're all here communicating these things that are, you know, pretty difficult ideas, complicated, abstract, you know, hard to talk about sometimes. Like, is there any time where you like are approaching an idea and you're like, wait, like this is actually like just too technical, like just too hard to talk about? Or like, do you think there's like a limit to what people can learn through these kinds of like informal formats? That's a great question. There's a topic that I've been thinking about for a while and wondering how to approach and sort of like a little scared of taking it on because I thought it might be too technical. And that's this idea of local gauge invariance, which I'm sure you both know is like 
deeply important in modern physics and so and really hard to explain. And if you get it, if you like, it clicks in your mind, it just gives you a whole new window of understanding like why forces exist. And so, and I remember having that moment in grad school, you know, seeing that derivation and being like, Oh, that's why we have photons, man. And I wanted to share that experience, but man, it's complicated and tricky and there's so many steps to get there. And, um, you know, one of the, the real blessings of this project for me is like, I can just sort of throw the ideas out there and then it's, uh, up to Jorge to guide the audience <laughs> through them. And, uh, and, you know, and kudos to him. And we try, we violently try. We, I think we, we did an episode of that, right? I remember thinking like, we did. Oh boy. We did. It was hard. It was hard. Oh um, you know, sometimes we do things a little more superficial. Sometimes we go really hard and deep. And, uh, the response from that one was great. People were like, wow, I'd never heard about that. Or I'd always tried to understand that, but the Wikipedia article is impenetrable. And yeah. so, um, it's going to be really difficult sometimes. Uh, but so I, sometimes I lean heavily on, on Jorge's ability to translate physics. I mean, I, I've known plenty of like professional particle physicists who can, they can do the math showing how local gauge invariance works. But if you ask them to explain it, they, they don't know. They don't get it themselves. They, they know how to apply the equations. They've learned to step to the, you know, the, the mechanism, the procedure, whatever the, the cookbook. But um, it's a hard idea. It's pretty deep. It is. And that's one of the joys of this process also is that it forces me to think about it again and yeah. come up with like a real understanding of it. Because I'm thinking, well, I know Jorge's going to ask me this question, so I better really think about how to explain it. Um, I sort of have a little, you know, miniature Jorge simulator in my mind. Right <laughs> and um, <laughs> living right what a joy! In my head. What a joy! <laughs> <laughs> um, and that, as you know, always solidifies your understanding. Right when you got to go teach something, you really, really learn it. And so, frankly, I think I've learned a lot uh, by doing this podcast by being forced to take complicated ideas and really break them down in in, in a in a good way. And we get there. We always get there. Yeah. Uh, but it's not always easy. I, I feel like, Daniel, uh, there there have been a few points through our 300 episode career <laughs> where you said, I sort of keep pushing and you're like, well, at some point, it's the math. There's no way we can hard tackle it here. <laughs> it's beyond the scope of this For podcast. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Then I'll usually um, punt and say, like, well, we'll do a whole other podcast. Oh, there you go. One. That's a good save. When I figure out how to explain it. <laughs> That's right. Mm-hmm. Stay tuned. It's a cliffhanger. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess one last thing I want to ask, I, I'm sure, you know, especially these days with, you know, the internet and there's so there are lots of people like starting to do co- science communication now, I think in new ways, you know, I'm saying on Twitter, even on TikTok, things like that. And so I'm sure there are at least some people listening who, you know, aside from being interested in the science we do are also interested in the science communication itself. So, you know, maybe what advice would you have for people who are specifically interested in science communication? Yeah, I would say uh, just do it. And I came up with that line all by myself. Just do it. Um, <laughs> yeah, just do it. I mean, that's follow that instinct to just share and communicate and um, try to be as creative as possible. You know, like if you see a new platform, jump into it and, and figure it out and find the places where there aren't any other communicators or any of anyone else doing what you think needs to be doing and, and try to fill that void. Yeah, and try to talk about the things that really excite you. You know, because when you're communicating your honest enthusiasm, your passion, your ideas, the things that you think about carefully and deeply, then you really have something interesting to say. That's why we're not doing an organic chemistry podcast. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> Unless we get a book yeah, deal. So Unless we get a book deal to do it. Well, then we'll, uh, how much, would, how much would they have to pay you to do an organic chemistry podcast? In units of Jeff Bezos? I'm not sure. Yeah. It would take a lot. I love organic chemistry, by the way. 
and organic chemists. They're all wonderful people. Oh, that sounds very genuine. Yeah. <laughs> you say that with such sincerity. Yeah, you say that with so much sincerity, Daniel. <laughs> My wife's a biochemist, so I'm, you know, she's organic chemistry adjacent, so I have to pay lip service to that at least. Huge thank you to Daniel and Jorge for coming on our show today. A reminder that their book, Frequently Asked Questions About the Universe, is out now. And if you like science and comics and big questions with interesting answers, then you should definitely check it out. So my favorite in the book is, do we live in a computer simulation? But what I want to ask is, by the way, Shalma, we need to do an episode on that. This is a sidebar. (laughs) Yeah. So, but what are your favorites? Like, if you had to pick one of those uh, question chapters, what would you each pick? I think one of my favorites is the question about whether humans are predictable. Now that we understand that the universe is material and material follows laws, how do you go from there to a human? And how do you understand whether this free will? Because particles don't have free will. And the thing I like about this this topic is not that we have a definitive answer, but it sort of showcases how physics can approach a problem. How do you break a problem down and and sort of isolate where the issues are and try to tackle it? Um, Because there's a a lot of hocus pocus out there. You know, a lot of people say, oh, the universe isn't deterministic because it's quantum, which means it's random. Oh, and there's opening for free will. But, you know, there's not really. Not really, yeah. Free will. But there's another really fascinating concept which comes out of that, which is this idea of emergent phenomena You know, the universe is also not alive, like particles are not alive. And yet life is this complex emergent thing which comes out of non-living things. And so you can imagine maybe uh, an analogy where, you know, something has consciousness or free will made out of pieces that are not. So uh, that's what I like about this book because it about that topic, because it shows you sort of how to attack it from a physics point of view, what we can learn from what we learned about the universe and and translate that to taking on these big philosophical questions uh, where the, the answers have real consequences, you know? We did an episode of Why This Universe on Free Will like a year ago or something, and it's one of my favorites because Shalma and I kind of disagree on certain, you know, important parts of that. As, as everyone and, knew uh, you would. That doesn't happen very often. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, most of the things we talk about, we kind of either know the answer or know we don't know the answer, you know, but if there's a knowable answer, we can agree on what it is. Uh, this this was an exception. That was kind right. of fun. Yeah, and I love this question too because it's, you know, one of the examples where – we're talking about physics, like you said, we're answering, we're approaching this question with physics, but it's really something that like everyone kind of thinks about or everyone wonders about and like really impacts like the question of like how to live as a human. Um, and I think it's really interesting when you can really draw that like from, you know, abstract concepts from physics, like how does this actually impact the way we see ourselves and our lives? Yeah. So Jorge, what's your favorite question in the, uh, posed in the book? Uh, great question. It's like picking your favorite child. I mean... Of course, of course, you have a favorite one, but you can't so say it out easy. loud, right? <laughs> uh, no, I, I think. Man, do you have children? <laughs> I think I'm aligned with Daniel. I think my favorite questions in the book are the ones that that seem risky. You know, like maybe mm-hmm. are not typical for a physics book or or one uh, like that one about free will or or um, are humans predictable? I, I sort of like the one about uh, is there an afterlife, which I know is one of Daniel's yeah. least favorite <laughs> chapters. But uh, I like that just because it is something like you don't typically see in a physics book. And, and like you said, I, I sort of like how the fun of that chapter is sort of the approach that we take. And, and, and a lot of these 
uh, chapter is sort of the fun is in the approach. It's, it's just such a touchy subject and such a risky subject to sort of tackle and philosophical and, and sociological that it, it was sort of fun to look at it from a physics point of view and from a just just kind of like a rational point of view. Like, how would you make a laughter life work? What would that entail? And and what are some of the crazy things you would have to assume? Jorge's worried about the practical details of engineering the afterlife. <laughs> yeah. Where would go. the food all come in and you know, this waste product? Yeah, right. Who, who does the software <laughs> updates on, on Heaven 2.0? You know, who fixes well, the Have bug? you seen The Good Place? Yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that's mm-hmm. that, that feels so <laughs> on your line. <laughs> yeah. It's a bureaucratic nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I also like the chapter where we talked about like how long will humanity survive, and obviously, like you can't mm-hmm. know that answer. But it, it, we, I feel like we took sort of a, like a like a statistical or like actual an actuarial uh, point of view or approach to answering that question. It's like, well, it depends on your time scale and what are some of the things that will likely kill us all in the next hundred years, or the next thousand years, or the next hundred thousand years, or the next billion years, or the next trillion years, like. You know, because as we pointed out in the book, like to survive, technically you have to survive all of those things. Like you can't, you can't just evade one asteroid. You have to evade all asteroids forever to to make it out to to uh, to the end of time. Yeah, you don't get a, a consolation prize for only being exterminated by one thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. So check out that chapter before you buy your billion-year life insurance plan. I, for one, hope you both uh, continue to do this, uh, pursue this path. Um, you're, you're creating a lot of uh, really exciting stuff for a lot of people. And um, I'm, in, I'm an enthusiast. I will can keep consuming it. And I know a lot of other people will too. So uh, thumbs up and accolades of all types. Salute. And uh, thank you. <laughs> no, same to you, Dan. Yeah, I, what you do is also amazing. Books and podcasts and, and communicating and being accessible to people. It's uh, also super cool. Yeah, every time your podcast drops, I think, ooh, that was a cool topic. Wish we had that. <laughs> <laughs> and why not? And I always listen to it. And I always learn something. Yeah. So that's really There can be a Marvel and a DC, right? Like they can both have superpowered <laughs> beings. You can Except we're in the same universe this time. <laughs> I'm not up on my Marvel enough to get those jokes. <laughs> we're definitely whichever um comics universe has more dad jokes in it. So. That's right. We're the, <laughs> we're the, the super puns. big thank you today to Daniel Whiteson and Jorge Cham. Be sure to check out their podcast, Daniel and Jorge Explain the Universe, as well as their new book, Frequently Asked Questions About the Universe. Today's episode was produced and edited by me, Shalma Wegsman, with additional edits by Matthew Hodep. My co-host is Dan Hooper, a professor of astrophysics at the University of Chicago and at Fermilab. Thank you so much for listening. As a reminder, we have a Patreon if you want to support us and get access to exclusive content like exclusive Ask Me Anything episodes where we take your questions and answer them as best we can. To find us there, go to patreon.com slash whythisuniverse. Why This Universe is part of the University of Chicago Podcast Network.